Welcome to Delighting in the Word, a ministry of Southside Baptist Church located in Mount Airy, North Carolina. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Hall. Grab your Bible and join us as we delight in the Word of God, verse by verse. In this session, we will explore chapter 2 of the book of Acts, which lays the foundation for Christian practices and doctrine. Unfortunately, many misconceptions and false doctrines about Christianity stem from a mishandling of the book of Acts. Our aim is to help you, the listener, gain insights into the lives and efforts of the early Christians so you can continue to spread the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to His word. This recording was created for a local Christian radio station, and we have worked hard to try to enhance its quality as best we can. We hope that this study will be a source of help and blessing to you. If you have any comments or feedback, please visit our website at www.southsidebcma.com. There you will find multiple ways to get in touch with us. Thank you for listening. We're in chapter two of the book of Acts, and as mentioned already, the book of Acts was written some 30 plus years after the Lord Jesus had gone to the cross at Calvary, had died, and was buried and rose again the third day. And the beloved physician Luke is credited with being able to write down this book, which records the history of the apostles. And um, Luke also is credited with writing down the gospel according to Luke. And so you see some similar terminology in the gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. Now, certainly these books are not just written in the power of Luke or any other author for that matter who's uh, been credited with writing a book of the Bible, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God. At 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and when it says given by inspiration of God, it means that all scripture is breathed of God. God himself breathed upon these individuals as they recorded his word. And he led them and guided them to record down the very words that God wants us to know today. And so that's why we refer to this as God's word. And it is without a doubt the inspired word of God. And it is worth reading, it is worth learning, it is worth loving and living by the Word. And so we're going to try to continue to do that as we study the book of Acts today, chapter 2. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now we'll stop right there. If you'll remember in earlier studies, we talked about how important this is. How we read here, they were all with one accord and in one place. They were unified together. They were not, um, they were, they were not dysfunctional. They were not divided. Uh, they were not um, selfishly pursuing uh, each other's own ambitions and goals, but they were unified of one accord in one place. And when it says they were of one accord, we know that their heart's desire was to glorify God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, they were unified not only with themselves, but also 
with the holy God. And that's where you and I should be today. We should be unified with God in all that we do. And that's how you really um, learn how to walk as God wants us to walk in this world, to live as the children of light, as mentioned in the New Testament. After a person has been saved, we're delivered out of darkness, and now we should live our lives as the children of light. And in 1 John, we would read how God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So God wants us to be unified even today around His wonderful will and purpose. And we find here in verse 1 of chapter 2, which is a profound chapter, it's wonderful. This is the starting of the church, is what my personal belief is, that when the Holy Spirit is poured out and enters into the hearts of these individuals, this is the beginning of what was intended by God and that great work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a great chapter. But as it begins, be reminded always that we find unity amongst the believers and God responds to unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 reminds us that it pleases God when we are unified. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so God responds here because there's great unity amongst the believers, and God responds in the church today when there is unity amongst the believers, but not unity around man's carnal desires or his own will, but unity around the will of the Holy One, God Almighty, and His Son, Jesus Christ. When we unify ourselves around Him, that's when we see great things happen in the church. So be mindful of that. What a great truth. Well, let's continue to read here. So verse 1 says, we're we're at the day of Pentecost, and there's a great event that's going to take place. Let me go back for a second before we read any further. Um, Pentecost, verse 1. Sometimes we misunderstand maybe what that word means. In the first part of your Old Testament, you have five books, and those are referred to as the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. Penta meaning five. And then um, those are the first five books of the Old Testament. Moses is usually credited with writing all of those. Um, But here we have Pentecost. So Penta, again, referring to something that has five, and the meaning of the word Pentecost is the 50th day. That's how it's defined. So the 50th day. The 50th day of what? Well, Pentecost came 50 days after Passover. If you'll remember with me, Jesus was crucified right there near Passover, and he is in fact our Passover lamb today. And then 40 days after he rose from the grave, uh, you take 40 days there, and he spent those 40 days with his disciples, teaching them that he was spoken about by the prophets of the Old Testament and teaching them further truths about the church and about the work of Christ. So for 40 days, he did that. Then in Acts chapter one, we read about how he ascended back up to heaven to be at the right hand of the father. When he went back to heaven, he went there so that he could send the comforter. Uh, We had a study a little while back in John chapter 14, 15, and 16 about the Holy Spirit and how the Lord Jesus says, if he doesn't go back to the father, he will not be able to send the comforter. And that's why he went back to the right hand of the father so that the Holy Spirit could then descend down from heaven and enter into the hearts of believers. So Passover is the time when Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose again 
from the grave. 40 days after he rose from the grave, or I'm sorry, not 40 days after, but for 40 days after he rose from the grave, he spent that time with his disciples teaching them. He ascends back to heaven. We're still not at Pentecost yet because we're 40 days after Passover. So for the next 10 days after God, Christ, ascends back to heaven, for the next 10 days, you find Jesus' disciples gathered together, unified together of one accord and one place, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Well, when does it come? When does he come? He comes on Pentecost, on the 50th day. So 50 days after Passover, that's when the Holy Spirit descends down into the heart of the believer. Now, Pentecost, again, meaning the 50th day, is the second of the three great Jewish feasts celebrated at Jerusalem yearly. This particular feast is celebrated in grateful recognition of the completed harvest. It was this time when the first fruits of the wheat harvest were presented to God. It's so wonderful to think about. Uh, For instance, the scriptures tell us how Christ became the first fruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. And if you could imagine with me, Passover happens, Christ dies, is buried, is risen from the grave three days later, and then 50 days later, there is a time of celebration. It happens amongst the disciples when the Holy Spirit is poured out on these believers. What a wonderful time. And then also we read in Scripture in James chapter 1, verse 18, it says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So there's some great symbolism taking place here at Pentecost because of the time of year that it is or the celebration that it is, and also what God is confirming during this time. What a wonderful time. Okay, well, let's get back into our text here. Let's look back at uh, verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now back in verse 2, we see what event has taken place. You first off could imagine with me, these believers are gathered together in one place of one accord, possibly praying, certainly waiting, fasting, uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then suddenly, just suddenly, it comes on them very quickly. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now, It doesn't suggest that there is an actual wind blowing through the room, but there was some type of sound that comes through that sounded as if it was a rushing mighty wind blowing through the place. Could have been wind. We don't know one way or the other, but certainly we know that there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And this sound was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This great event is taking place right here in the text. And God is putting his power, his his spirit inside the hearts of people. And this is something that has not happened in this way for all of history. And here it is taking place in verse 2. And it's beginning, and then it goes into verse 3. 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. The word cloven refers to something split. And so there's some kind of split tongue. Um, these cloven tongues um, that appear upon each one of them, we see a few things here. First off, the cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Now what this does is it, it tells us some things about the Holy Spirit. For one, the fire here represents the purity of God. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He's not only a comforting power, but he's a cleansing power. And if you're living in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not let you continue in the filthiness of this world. He won't do it. He will grieve you. He will, he will convict you. He will poke and prod at you. And you will feel horrible living in the sin of this world because not only is he a comforting spirit or power, but he's also a cleansing power. And we see it right in the very beginning, the cloven tongues like as of fire, fire being something that re represents the purity of God because that's what fire does. Fire purifies. I think of the, the metal ore that is put into the fire and it goes through the process of purification. As the dross separates out of that pure metal, the two will separate from one another as they're heated up. And you have the pure metal, and then you have the, the impurities that will be um, thrown away after. So the idea here with the fire is that it represents the purity of God. And so again, we're reminded that the Holy Spirit is not just a comforting power, but he's also a cleansing power. Now, another thought Look in verse 3. Not only do you have the fire, but also it, or the Holy Spirit, or this image of the Holy Spirit, the cloven tongue, sat upon each of them. Now that tells us that the Holy Spirit works in the individual and gives equally to each believer. He, he's not partial to one person above another person. When you are saved, you are blessed with the wonderful fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, how much you surrender to his leading and guiding and his power in your life, now that's up to the individual as they grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and they begin to walk by faith. Now they will be more surrendered to the movement of the Spirit in their life as well as the leading and guiding of the Spirit. But in the text, what we see is that it sat upon each one of them. So they all received the Holy Spirit. All believers will receive the Holy Spirit. And so the believers can expect a filling. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not some of them. There wasn't a handful over here that just got a little bit of the Holy Ghost. And the ones over here got a little more of the Holy Ghost. But they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they were filled with the Holy Ghost... It goes on to say, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we'll talk about that here in a second. So two things we want to take away from this just here before we move on any further. Uh, we want to note the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit represented by the fire upon their heads, but also note how he was given to each of the believers and they were all filled with him. So we've got the presence of the Holy Spirit and we've got the power of the Holy Spirit shown to us here in verse three. Now we move into verse four. What we find in verse four is we're going to find a few things here. First, we're going to find that the Holy Spirit gives them a message. 
He helps them to speak the message. He helps the audience to hear the message. And he also gives them power to speak the message. So let's pick up in verse four again in these last few minutes we have together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the other tongues is not referring to gibberish or something that is unknown to man. It's literally referring to other languages, other languages, just like me. I Honestly, I can't speak any other language but English. I know just a little bit of Spanish, and uh, it's not much. I, can, I, I might could get by if I was in a, uh, some serious trouble, but for the most part, I know English. But other languages we have are Spanish and French and uh, Russian and these other language, languages around us. And so think of it that way. The word tongues often throws people off. There are whole groups out here that are almost cult-like that read too deep into the word tongues and they see it as some type of, some type of spiritual language that no one understands. And it, it really, to the common person, just sounds like gibberish. But here in chapter two, what you find is they were literally speaking in other languages. They were known languages. They weren't foreign uh, to the world. They were known languages, and here they spoke in those languages. And it was the Spirit that gave them utterance, gave them the message, gave them the ability to speak in these other languages. So one thing to take from the Spirit and to understand from the passage is that it is the Spirit of God who, that will help us to speak forth God's truth. And so it is so important for us to understand how, we, how to walk in the Spirit, how to glorify Christ through yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, certainly one way is to remove sin from your life and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them and walk in the light, not in the darkness. And as the Holy Spirit is given that liberty inside of you and you yield to him, well, then he'll give you the right words to say when it comes time to speak forth truth. It could be a casual setting where you're maybe at a family get together and you want to talk to someone about their salvation. Hey, it's the Holy Spirit who'll give you the right words to say. Or maybe you're in another setting where you're a Sunday school teacher of some sort and you're trying to teach these children, or maybe it's uh, some teenagers or some, maybe it's adults, and you're going to teach them truth. Well, it's good to study. You need to prepare the horse for battle, but victory is of the Lord. So you prepare properly, but when you go into that place, wherever it might be, whatever the setting, when you go you go trusting in the Spirit because the Spirit gives us the message. He gives us the ability to utter forth God's truth. We also see that as we continue into verse 4, uh, not only does he give the utterance mentioned at the end of the verse, but also they began to speak in that verse. And so we understand that they began to speak because they were first off, first part of verse 4, filled with the Holy Ghost. So it was the Holy Ghost who gave them the message and helped them to speak. Now look at verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So they have an audience now. Who, who is the audience? Well, it's Jews or people who practice Judaism, devout men out of every nation under heaven, meaning people from all over the world 
had gathered at Jerusalem during, uh, during the, the time of Pentecost so they could celebrate along with the other Jews because that was the practice. You had to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts and these, um, these special events of the year. And so here they come together on the day of Pentecost, and now they're going to witness God's great work of pouring out a spirit into the hearts of the believers of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. Verse 6 tells us that whatever happened in the very first part here with the sound of the rushing mighty wind, the cloven tongues upon the heads of the believers, they're uttering forth this message of truth. Well, the word spread quickly in the area, and suddenly people were starting to hear, hey, did you hear about what's happening just down the street here, just a couple of houses over? There's people just speaking, and, and it's powerful. You got to go see it. So now what happens is everybody who's in Jerusalem at this time is getting stirred up because they're all hearing that God is doing something pretty amazing. So they all start to just, just flock together, and they, they just start to uh, flood into this place here where the believers are at and where this great event is taking place. And so as verse 6 says, the multitude came together, and they were confounded. They were just, just stopped in their tracks and amazed because every man heard them speak in his own language. These Jewish men here, devout men who have gathered at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, who have come from every nation under heaven, as mentioned in verse 5. They're now standing here in Jerusalem, and they come to this place where there's a message being preached, and everybody's uttering a message, and they listen in, and what they hear is not people speaking gibberish, not even people speaking in a language that they can't understand, but the amazing miracle is that all of them heard the message in their own language. That's what the text says. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. In verse 7, And they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That means that the disciples who were there, who had gathered together and were mentioned in verse 1 of chapter 2. They were of one accord in one place. These were all Galileans. And the Galileans had a certain dialect and a certain language they would have spoke. And what they're looking at is they're looking at Galileans, but what they're hearing is they're hearing the language of their own nation. Continue down into verse 8. They ask the question, How hear we, every man, in our own language wherein we were born? What languages are we talking about? Verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Proselytes meaning those who have converted, converted over to Jerusalem or I'm sorry, to Judaism. So proselytes being those who have converted over to Judaism. Verse 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues 
the wonderful works of God. Now, do you understand? I hope you understand with me what actually took place on the day of Pentecost. You have a group of Galileans who have patiently waited on the power of God. They believed in Jesus. They trusted in him. They learned from him after he rose from the grave. They had their faith in him. But the full work was not complete. Yes, Christ had fulfilled the law, but the power of God had not yet descended and indwelled the believer. So you have a group of Galileans of one accord, one mind, waiting patiently in one place, seeking God's will. The Holy Spirit fills them. They begin to speak forth the wonderful works of God in a miraculous way, because here's what happens. The Holy Spirit helps them by giving them the message and helping them to speak, but also the Holy Spirit helps the listener because the audience heard the message from these Galileans in their own languages. And so what that tells us is that the Holy Spirit does not only work through us as believers, but it's the Holy Spirit who helps others to hear the message of God. When I had first gotten into ministry and I was teaching, um, uh, at that time it was a college career class, so I had maybe ages 18 up to about 26 or so. Um, and then after that, I moved to another Sunday school class, and I, my ages went from 18 up to 60 plus. And then I jumped around to some other ministries with children. And I remember in those early years, I used to think it was, it was all what I did. I would pray. I, I, would, I would pray for me to be empty of myself so that I could preach the message. I would, I would always focus on that part of it. It was me. It was one, one directional, right? It was the Holy Spirit working through me to accomplish the will, but I failed to realize that the Holy Spirit also opens the ears of others. And it's the Father that draws the heart of a person to Christ, which is what the scriptures teach us. And so the Holy Spirit is not only working in me to bring the message out and to uh, speak power from me as I yield myself to him, but also the Holy Spirit is helping others to hear. And we see that happening right here in the text on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit gave them a message. The Holy Spirit helped them to speak the message, but the Holy Spirit also helped the audience to hear the message. And here's what we find. Some were amazed, some doubted, and some mocked. And that is still the same truth we find today in our churches and in any setting where you end up witnessing for the Lord and sharing some type of biblical truth. You'll have some who are amazed, some who doubt, and some who, in fact, mock. But we're called to be sowers and waterers of God's precious seed, and it's God who gives increase. That's all the time I have for you today. I look forward to being back with you again next time, and we'll continue our study on chapter 2. You've been listening to Delighting in the Word, a ministry of Southside Baptist Church. We're located at 2621 South Main Street, Mount Airy, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Southside Baptist Church, we invite you to visit our website at southsidebcma.com.